Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Cy Wilmore. This is the second series of The Journey Podcast, where we're speaking to the writers and photographers who've contributed to the first two issues of Journey Magazine. And as such, I'm joined by Jamie Lafferty, a freelance travel writer and photographer based in Scotland. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. How are you doing today? You well? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing very, very well, thank you. I'm uh, hopefully a little bit more relaxed than you are. I think you've got, uh, was it four hours to get ready and pack, pack your bags? Four, Is that four right? Hours to, yeah, I've been home for a week and um, I've just moved into a new place as well. So the whole oh, week wow. has been a combination of unpacking boxes and trying to write about the things I've been doing for the five-week trip that I was just on. And now it's got down to crunch time where I have four hours to repack and get ready for the next trip. The life of a travel writer slash photographer. I mean, I, we, folks, Jamie and I had a conversation just before we before we went live, and Jamie said, "Oh, I've got four hours. That's plenty of time." And I think that's indicative of the kind of life we have to lead. Four hours. If it was like my mum and dad, they would have woken up like eight hours early, would have packed bags three days ago, ready to go. But four four hours is plenty, right? You, you'll be fine. Like once in a while, I get to take a friend along on a trip, and they are like, well, what are the details then? What are the details? I've started packing. What should I pack? And I'm like, oh, we don't have the flights organized yet. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean not have the flights? We should have had this months ago. No, no, no. You need to wait. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Uh, and yes, yeah, a totally different way of traveling and understanding how the whole system works, I guess. It's frightening, isn't it? But I always kind of used to say, especially on kind of group trips in my in my kind of early days, just get to the airport. If you get to the airport and you've got your passport, it will probably be fine. Yeah, almost every travel writer who's been doing it for a while will have been in a situation where you you take off and you and you actually don't know where you're staying that night. You know, yeah. or are you definitely being met at the airport, or you know, and those those sort of things. After it happens a few times, it becomes less terrifying. I think it does. You just become kind of numb to the the thing that would freak out seventy five percent of the world, right, or ninety five percent of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where have you just come back from? Out of interest. 
Um, it was a, so it was a long and quite complicated trip that started in Peru and then yeah. went to Chile for a few days and then crossed up through the Andes into uh, Bolivia and then um, was there for more or less a week and then flew back to Peru again for a few days. So in total, I was away for like four and a half weeks. Wow. juggling lots of different commissions for different people and different formats and um yeah quite a chaotic trip and a good trip you know the sort of trip i like to do but um like 30 days with no days off and of course not every day you, you know you're not working down a coal mine it's not <laughs> it's not lately there are worse jobs to do for 30 days straight but i found this trip this time Mentally, it's quite hard to, to work. Like I was doing 12 different stories. Good God. And you can't really turn your, your brain is like constantly on record. Yeah. So you're, you're constantly thinking, well, is that interesting? How does that look? Should I be taking photographs of that? Is that person worth interviewing? So it was just, it was just uh, a lot by the, by the end. Um, but yeah, a, a great trip, a great trip. And uh, some stuff I'd done before, some things I was, I was sort of retracing some of my steps as a backpacker. But a lot of it was brand new as well, so you know it was it was good. It was fantastic, good. and you're obviously a sucker for punishment because in four hours you're off again to do it all again. Exactly right. Yep. So the next trip is, and really annoyingly, really really annoyingly, it's six hours time difference to Peru, mm-hmm. six hours behind. Uh, later today, I well, I'm going to London, but then basically um, tomorrow I'll fly early morning, fly to Guyana which is five hours behind in the same direction. So having just got used to the jet lag back home, <laughs> and I need to reverse and go go straight back again. Yeah, well, suboptimal to say the least. It's a tough life, isn't it? This is, uh, this is the life we lead. Tell us a little yeah. bit about yourself, Jamie, where you kind of, where you come from originally, how you started getting into travel writing, travel photography. Well, um, I, I grew up in a town called Ayr on the Scotland's West Coast. So it's about an hour outside of Glasgow. Um, Glasgow's where I live now, mm-hmm. but at home. Um, I got into travel journalism through a heady combination of uh, luck and nepotism. (laughs) I I think that uh, there's lots of different ways into it, but honestly, uh, good luck and great nepotism are the primo ways to to get ahead of the crowd, basically. Um, I mean, not nepotism in a sort of my uncle is Lord such and such way that lots of actors get into acting. Of course, of course. Really funny. Like, lots of British actors, if you check the Wikipedia page, you're like, oh, they're their ancestors fought in the Crusades. Now I understand why <laughs> why they're getting cast ahead of lots of other people. And there's lots of that goes on in London media. Uh, mine was a much smaller sort of episode uh, up here in Glasgow. Basically, I had finished university, had no idea what I wanted to do with myself. And two of my friends o- over the course of their university degrees, none of us went to, to uni to learn at all. And th- those two got into professional poker. Oh, wow. And- they both won tournaments that got them the opportunity to go and play at the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas. And one of them ended up being the top placed Scottish person in the whole competition and second uh, British person, I think. Yeah. Wow. They won like $60,000 or something obscene, which was like the most amount of money. We were all like 22. And so it was the most amount of money we'd ever heard of, you know. That's amazing. And a, a, a third friend suggested that I write about it for the local paper. So I just uh, looked up a, a news story of about 400 words and copied the format exactly, um, just sort of put his name in and changed the sport. <laughs> and um, and the paper was like, this is great. We, you know, we can't pay you for it, but we can run it. Um, and the features editor there was like, look, 
this is going to get hoovered by a um, news agency and they'll sell it to the Daily Record or the Sun. And so you should, before we publish, you should take this to the papers, to the tabloids and sell it. I was like, well, I've got no idea. I, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, the guy was like, look, here's the email addresses even of the features editors. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. And so, you know, the Sun, I, I guess I wasn't as politically aware as I am now, but to, to a 22 year old me when the Sun were like, yeah, we'll pay you 200 quid for the story and 150 quid for the picture, which I did not take. I was like, oh, oh my God. And by pure chance, this is, so the luck, we're still writing on the luck coattails at the moment. Yeah. But by pure chance, their junior features writer had left to go and take a job elsewhere. And the son were like, look, do you want to check your schedule? Because we, we might want to kind of offer you a job on the basis of this one piece. That's mad. <laughs> and really mad. Like biggest selling paper in the country, you know, fundamentally evil, but that's, I, I wouldn't really care about that at that time. <laughs> so I was like, wow, like, Oh, this is absolutely terrifying. Like, what what am I going to do about this? And I remembered that a guy that I had worked with at McDonald's <laughs> as a teenager, his father was somehow in newspapers. So I phoned Greg and I was like, "What is your dad does at the paper again?" He's like, "He's at the Sunday Herald." I was like, "Right, okay." Any chance I could have his number just to discuss like what a features writer is and who this the, the, the features editor at the time at the Sun uh, Scottish Sun was this bitter old maniac like a, a proper nasty tabloid fleet street dude like yeah yeah a total bin raker send the pats harassment sort of crikey oh, wow a mean mean bastard like not an not a nice person like a caricature of a tabloid journalist yeah sure so i phoned uh my friend's dad and he was like oh my god that guy's terrible look before you go in and get eaten alive come into my paper and uh, i'll show you around and you know you can see what each individual position does and I was like, what do you mean your paper? He's like, well, I'm the editor of the Sunday Herald. I was like, <laughs> oh, right. I thought you were just like the cool dad that like let us drink around his house sometimes when we were 15. I didn't realize that you were like... You can be both, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can, yeah. <laughs> Why limit yourself? Yeah. And um, so, so, but again, just luck again, their researcher on their magazine uh, had left to take a full-time job at the BBC. So Richard was like, actually... Look, we've actually got a vacancy for researchers. Why don't you do a couple of days here, then go to the sun for three days? Um, and I was like, right, okay. And I had a part-time job at the time. I was a cleaner in a psychiatric hospital. So I remember working 17 days straight between the Sunday Herald, the sun, and the psychiatric hospital. And after like those two and a half weeks, I was like, well, I absolutely can't stand the sun. It's, it's terrible. Mm. <clears throat> First job I had to do was find Scottish celebrities who had a ghost story because it was in the build up to Halloween. <laughs> they didn't give me any any help. They just were like, right, go and do that. So I'm like, well, how do I get hold of Lorraine Kelly and people like, see if they've got a, a ghost story. It really, really depended it. But uh, the son asked me back and I just said, no, no, it's fine. I would rather be cleaning in a, in a mental hospital than than work for you. And But I kept on at the Sunday Herald and I stayed there for two years. And it was through them then, I mean, look, Richard gave me that job. I didn't have to, um, I did not have to interview for it. So I just slid in there and it was the most junior position available. And it was never a full-time position. It was like doing timesheets, totally freelance. And, um, you know, they could have ended it at any time. So mm-hmm. evidently I showed enough of, of something to to be kept on. And then one day uh, in the office, somebody came around and said, oh, there's a, 
there's a press trip to to Israel. Would you be interested in going? And I said, I can't possibly afford it. I'm sorry. And they were like, <laughs> what, what do you mean, like, afford it? And I was like, why do I have, I've got no money. Like, I'm, I was only 85 quid a day at the Sunday Herald. I was like, I've got, like, nothing. I've got, I, can't, I can't go. And they were like, yeah, don't pay for it. And I was yeah. like, holy shit, a, a free holiday? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a holiday. I was like, it sounds a lot like a holiday to That's me. That's what everyone thinks nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what was funny was that... Um, you know, Israel's a, Israel's a, let's put it very, very mildly, a complicated destination. Definitely. It's probably not somewhere that I would be, I would go back to anymore professionally. But when I went there, like, first, the very first time, everything was brand new. And I remember when it came time to leave, you have to have an interview, like quite an intense, I don't know if this is still the same, but quite an intense interview with border guards. And he was like, so tell me what you've just done. And I was like, I've, we were down in Elat on the, you know, northern edge of the Red Sea. He was like, right, okay, who with... And I said, are these the group of people? Who are they? Uh, journalists. Um, I don't really know their surnames. I think like one of them's called Dan. He's like, mm. come away on this lovely little trip with a load of strangers. And you've just had a nice little holiday. And now you're going back. And I was like, that sounds pretty weird now that you yeah, said it I was, I was only 24, so I had no idea, like absolutely no clue about anything. So, yeah, and then I did another one of those trips to um, Stavanger in Norway because they were European capital of culture that year. And then, but I never had a full-time job and I was getting quite uh, wearisome traveling to the hospital and then back to Glasgow to work at the paper. Uh, and I saw a job advertised in Dubai. It was just a features writer job, but it was full-time and... I was 25 by that point and didn't really have any major ties. Most of my friends had moved into boring graduate jobs. So I said, oh, I'll go, go and give this features writer job a go in Dubai. And it turned out it was actually on a travel magazine. It was on an in-flight magazine for Etihad. So then I ended up spending two years there uh, working on, a, on an in-flight mag. So that was sort of then completely accidentally, I ended up specialized in travel. It wasn't something I'd been seeking out because I had started out on arts and culture at the Sunday Herald. And sometimes I think that that is, was the best possible way to start uh, in journalism. And other times with travel, I find it really frustrating because for those two for formative years, you know, you're taught to be critical and to review things. And that's, despite my best efforts, not really part of travel writing. <laughs> not really there to say some whether something's good or bad. You can in the pub, but in print, it's much harder to say... I dislike this entire country. Definitely. And I think to say something as kind of as generalist as that is dangerous anyway, right? Because there's good people everywhere you go. So it's finding that balance between reporting how your uh, individual experience of it was compared to a much bigger, you know, kind of destinations theme. Uh, folks, you can, as you can imagine, when I'm doing these interviews, I make some notes as I'm, as I'm speaking to our guests. And my notes for this particular interview make fascinating reading. I'm just going to write exactly what I've got on my piece of paper. And it says, toilet cleaner, mental health clinic, poker, story, syndicated, features writer, Israel. Does that sound about right? That is a hell of a roundup. <laughs> uh, well, you did ask. Um, yeah, I certainly did. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely I, fascinating. I, I think the thing what's interesting about that story is, and this is why I, I, I always feel, feel a bit weird when younger writers ask how they can get into it. There are so many stages of my uh, path to, to this. Sure. I almost said journey there, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, Nicely done. Thanks. <laughs> um, 
there are so many narrow narrow moments when a tiny little thing changes and I don't and I don't end up talking to you here just now and I'm not going to Guyana this afternoon and Absolutely. a million other things are happening. I didn't want to be a travel writer. It was not a long held uh, mission of mine. It wasn't something I wanted to be as a kid. It's not really a job that I knew existed as a, sure. as a child. Same. I grew up in a council house in a single parent family. I did not have ambitions to to travel the world and become a megalomaniacal uh, features writer uh, who's constantly trying to push other freelancers out of the way so that you can become some sort of fantasy big deal in his head. That was not my, um, that was not on the agenda at all. So, I mean, look, if my friend isn't as lucky as poker, I, I don't, I don't, I, it doesn't happen. If the, if the guy at the Ayrshire Post isn't as generous with mm. the feature contacts, it doesn't happen. If those two junior features writer and researcher don't go to take other jobs, it doesn't happen. A million different things could have gone wrong. I, I mean, people use the analogy of sliding doors a lot, but I had like, have you ever seen Takeshi's Castle? You know, and of got, course. So it's kind of like that, except somehow I didn't hit any real major, major obstacles all the way through. It's just blind, stupid luck and a little bit of nepotism as well. That's fantastic. I mean, almost like the butterfly effect is one of those things you hear as well. One tiny effect kind of causes generational shifts down the down the line. But I, I guess it's absolutely fascinating speaking to travel writers because so many of us kind of, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, we're going, what do you want to do with your life? Not sure. When I was 16, you know, you do those kind of aptitude tests, like 16 mm. years old. Oh, you're quite good at maths. You should be an engineer. And you go, yeah, all right, I'll be an engineer. What is that? And then, you know, 19 kind of, I start as a civil engineer. I do my degree, all the rest of it, quite a formal education. I guess I was quite, quite lucky and quite privileged in that way. Got to about 22, 23, just about ready to become a master of engineering. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't think this is this is where we're going with this. Um, and again, like speaking to to people across the board, you've got people who have kind of started at the the regional magazines, maybe the the traditional way to become a travel writer, shall we say, starting at the regional magazines, working up and then shifting into travel, or exactly as yourself, kind of working. Well, I guess that is that is your story, right? You're you've got your big break at the at the local rag they used to call it, and working your way up. That's a classic story. You've got people who have kind of come from nowhere and now they're novelists or whatever and it's a it's a fascinating group of people yeah. um fantastic let's talk a little bit about um we've done a little bit about your kind of your first jobs in the industry you're starting to maybe become should we say a full-time travel writer full-time travel photographer now what kind of early trips come back to mind what kind of favorite places favorite destinations favorite trips uh from your formative years this is in um I think April of 2011. Right. Um, we got it was a month after the Great East Japan earthquake had happened, um, yeah. and the tsunami and nuclear problems, and tourism had dropped to absolute zero in in Japan. Yeah, and I got some press release saying that there was this uh, initiative uh, coming out called the Travel Volunteer Project. Could I find any coverage for it? And I'm like, well, I'm an unaffiliated freelancer, and I'm absolutely nobody knows who I am so uh, no but there doesn't seem to be anything that stops me from applying for this and so um, my ex and I put in a joint application and skipped to the end we were selected to do this um, this travel volunteer project and what it meant was traveling around all 47 prefectures in Japan in just 100 days and blogging about it every single day Wow. So we had just done like 15 months of travel and we were absolutely exhausted and ready, very ready to go home. 
eat salt and vinegar crisps. <laughs> yeah, uh, classic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get rain lashed and miserable with everyone else. <laughs> uh, sit in a dark pub and get, develop a healthy vitamin, unhealthy vitamin D deficiency. Instead, <laughs> um, instead we had to go and do this volunteer project, and it was that's a, that is easily the hardest I've ever worked, and uh, but probably the best and most honest work I've ever done as well. And it was it was absolutely exhausting. No days off for a hundred days, traveling every single day. But you know, it can say at the end of it. I've been to every single part of Japan and, and hopefully in some small way helped, um, help the country. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. This is tra- very much kind of travel writing for good, right? Letting the world know that this place is safe. They are looking after their, uh, tourists and Japan, of course, phenomenal, phenomenal part of the world. And they seem to have done a, a wonderful job of, of making the place safe and encouraging tourists to come back. Yeah. And, and this, I mean, Japan has, is a wonderful country for rebuilding. You know, yeah. they have all the natural disasters. So they have volcanoes, typhoons, and earthquakes and tsunamis. Um, they also had two nuclear bombs dropped on their heads. Yes, so they course. know very well about what happens when you lose everything and how you need to to sort of reconstruct. Um, and yeah, the, our job was easy, easy in some ways. You know, we weren't there in the disaster zone pulling bodies out of buildings and stuff, but we were um, trying to show that the country's a large place and that the Fukushima exclusion zone is tiny. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. To worry about something that happened there it was the equivalent of, I think, if it had happened in Milan, refusing to go to London. Like, I think that was yeah, that sort of was the scale of uh if you if you're talking about i think osaka to, to fukushima that was the sort of distances you were talking about so yeah it was um it was great it, it was really really great and and you know so quite a lot of modern travel writing is actually tourism coverage mm-hmm. you know, really what you're doing is you're, you're writing about new products and you're helping to you know p- help people go on holiday basically and th- that was an instance where it wasn't really that it was like here's a soy soy here's a soy sauce factory in an obscure prefecture that nobody's ever going to visit but you know you're just you're, you're finding out genuinely what's there and is is you know who are the people that you've met along the way and there was there was something quite pure about that that i enjoyed as well i, I went to fukushima as well a few years after after the kind of the recovery effort had begun and you're quite right the way that they the way that they do these things, obviously it has to be comprehensive. It has to be safe, but it has to be done with such kind of sensitivity as well. One of the, one of my favorite, let's call it travel experiences in the sense that it's not travel writing in the, in the traditional sense, far from it. But um, they'd recently rebuilt the, the market in, in Fukushima after the, um, you know, after the devastation Mm -hmm. and, I remember they brought the fish to market and they had to do a Geiger counter, a radiation check on every single fish. <laughs> yep. And it was just, the, in some ways, probably for them, it was kind of traditional life now. That's just how you do it. You check that the fish is fine and you can sell it. But yeah. it was just this remarkable experience for me. And, and like I say, it's not going to ever appear in any travel magazine because who wants to read about Geiger counters and fish and stuff but <laughs> it was just this really humbling wonderful experience and and it feels like that's in many ways kind of a classic quintessential japan uh you know scene it, it's a phenomenal country yeah it's great it's really great I, i've probably not made the most of how much i've, I've seen and done there I, I was back there this year and it was great again but it wasn't really open to tourists so yeah yeah um it was a bit hard 
Uh, it was a very expensive trip personally to to try and run as well because it was very difficult to get support. And um, but it was great to be back and to see friends that I had worked with uh, eleven years ago as well was was great. We got absolutely uproariously drunk in Tokyo. Uh, it doesn't it, sound like you. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Japanese are some of the most enthusiastic drinkers uh, in the world. <laughs> colossal capacity for it so definitely uh, it's a great great fun lots of it fun. Is a wonderful wonderful place jamie let's talk a little bit i mean as as your kind of career has progressed arguably you've become um, an expert or a specialist in kind of remote and off the grid destinations nowadays you're very much a, an expert in places like antarctica or alaska or, or galapagos perhaps you could elaborate a little bit on those destinations and your experiences these days i sort of try to look a bit further afield and there's a couple of um reasons for doing that like one is that i think in europe if people speak the language and if people live there or they're they've got a, a spouse from those countries it is, is a bit weird if i parachute in and i'm like oh yeah can i write a bit about the dordogne for you I'm like mm-hmm. oh, really what do you know about it well nothing yet but i will <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, I think that some people and africa is a bit the same you know there's um i know you had sue on recently and mm-hmm. greg people like that like they've got like ring fence like this is my thing like this is this is my territory, right. and they know more about it than me. So, like, I I, I don't mind. I, I am a deeply deeply competitive person, and I've <laughs> written about safaris before, and I've done it well. I know I have, but it's not something that I'll pursue relentlessly because there's nuance there, and there's like people have got really good connections, and there's no point in messing around with it. So, part of that, and part of a sort of natural desire to get far away from places sometimes. Yeah. I really like going to extreme places. And, you know, I realized recently Mark Stratton is the exact same as me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, we did a trip together. We were on a boat together for our ship together for a month in um, in March and April this year. And I wasn't sure how it was going to be. I don't know how Mark feels about this. We, have, we didn't discuss it. But I wasn't sure beforehand. So I was like, he's like me, but like a few years older. Right. Wow. What if we don't get on for one thing? And secondly, what if we've got to cover this for rival titles? <laughs> but it, we're just lucky because he works a lot for Wanderlust and I work a lot for Nat Geo Traveler. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But the, we, he was working for Wanderlust and I wasn't there for Nat Geo Traveler. And then he does a lot for the Telegraph. I do a lot for the Times. But he, I was writing for the Times and he wasn't writing for the Telegraph. So just by sort of luck, we, oh, did wow. we, we, did, we weren't competing against each other. But he's very much like me in the, you know places that people haven't really heard of and or pl- places that people only know maybe one stereotype about those those places are magic to go to absolutely magic except annoyingly mark's been to them all so that that, <laughs> is, that does actually bug me you know the first time i ever met him was in kyrgyzstan that's a very travel writer thing to say the first time yeah. i ever met tele travel writer mark Tratton was at uh, the world nomad games in kyrgyzstan and we were talking we were sort of comparing notes about where we'd been and he'd been to sort of places that i really want to go to and i haven't made it yet like iran and I said, well, I suppose the, the jewel in the crown would be to uh, to go to the Pitcairn Islands. And he unzipped his gilet and that dirty bastard had a T-shirt saying, I've been to Pitcairn. <laughs> like, no way. Oh, that's just unfair. Oh, that, he was yeah. wearing the T-shirt as if he knew. Yeah, yeah li- literally wearing the T-shirt. I, I couldn't believe it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so like, I guess combination of distance is one thing. But the other thing that I really chase a lot is... Um, it's places that you feel a genuine sense of awe. Um, the, the great travel writer, um, Henry Wismeyer, uh, he has 
written a lot about like awe and what that actually means. And mm-hmm. I, when I read his piece on that a few months ago, I was like, oh, actually, that's kind of I'm I'm on the awe beat. Is uh, I, I'm I want to go to places that make me feel really feel something elemental, you know. So in the last few years, examples of that would be seeing a total eclipse in the middle of the pandemic in Chile. Um, seeing that incredible volcano spewing out wave after wave of lava in Iceland. And then pretty much every time I go to Antarctica and South Georgia, I feel that same sense of like, is this, can this be real? And oh my God, I've got to try and write about this and convey this sense of scale. And am I going to say wonder? Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll allow it once. I said wonder. <laughs> while, I'm, while, I'm, while I'm there. Um, and yeah, so I like the challenges of that. And I like reading like the diaries of old explorers who have been to these places and who can put these things much more eloquently than me. Um, yeah, I, I love all that stuff. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fantastic. I mean, you, you mentioned Explorer. This seems like a perfect opportunity to bring up Shackleton. Uh, you wrote about South Georgia Islands for a journey issue one. Tell us a little bit more about your experiences over there. Yeah, I mean, first of all, with that feature, that was the first thing I'd done for journey. Obviously, it was yes, sure. issue one. But I remember thinking uh, I wanted to write about um, South Georgia for a long time. And it was a bit too niche for some editors. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, in the, literally in the same week, uh, Cav and the editor at the FT were like, "Can you write about South Georgia?" I was like, "Oh, <laughs> now I've got to produce like four thousand words that cannot repeat each other, like can't trample mm. over the top of each other." On thankfully, though, it's my favorite place in the world, so that makes it a bit easier. But for the journey one, I was like, a lot of people love Shackleton, and, and he stands for stuff that he maybe didn't even represent, you know, but he, in his later years were quite sad. Like a lot, a lot of the men that were on the endurance with him died as lonely alcoholics. And that um, was true of Shackleton as well. So I was like, well, I'll open the feature with this sort of bloated, withered and booze sodden Shackleton dying and mm-hmm. see if, because a lot of magazines would ju- and newspapers would just say, no, we're not, we can't have that as the intro. You know, we want we want the uh, the cliffs and the seals and the penguins. We don't want like a hero dying. That's not a cool way to open. <laughs> yeah. So when Journey allowed that, I was like, yes, I think I'm, I think me and this magazine are going to get on okay. <laughs> um, so Georgia is is kind of hard to put into words. It's basically it's a mountain range floating in the sea, yeah. uh, very far from anything else. Absolutely teeming with wildlife. Um, hundreds of thousands of king penguins. 
but also gentoo penguins, rock hopper penguins, maca- uh, macaroni penguins, uh, elephant seals, fur seals, wandering albatross. The south, an excellent little songbird called the southernmost songbird in the world, which is called the the South Georgia pipit. Mm. Uh, the South Georgia um, pintail is the world's only carnivorous duck. It also lives there. Wow. Um, and it's got this absolutely extraordinary human history. It was a disgusting whaling outpost for many years and um, then has now used exclusively for science. But a lot of the old whaling stations are just left there rusting um, for all time, basically. Uh, it's also where the, the Falklands conflict started. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot, it, it's a fairly brief history, um, but it's really dense and it's where Shackleton both started and ended his most famous um, trip south, which I think is called the uh, Imperial Transantarctic um, Expedition or something like that is, but it was, it's more commonly known as Endurance, which mm-hmm. was the name of his ship, but yeah, also of course. the name of the number one quality, which he needed to keep <laughs> all of his men alive. Um, and so he's buried there as well, because years later he went back on the, this absolutely pointless mission of border inadequate ship called the quest and he died of a heart attack in great Vicken harbor um and it's interesting he he they, they tried to repatriate his body back to london and his uh wife emily i think her name is uh you know poor old emily had spent the years she was married to him he was away as much as, as he was at home and so when they got his body to montevideo they telegrammed uh london and said your man's dead we're bringing him back home and she was like, nah, don't bother. <laughs> that's a spirit. <laughs> just You might as well bury him down there because that's where he loved. It's where he wanted to be. Yeah. yeah. So they U-turned and went back to South Georgia and dug into the frozen ground and, and buried him there. And, and so he faces south towards Antarctica. Um, wonderful. always will. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. What a fantastic story, Jamie. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about how you got involved with Journey in the first place. Uh, yeah, so it would have been March 2021. Um, mm-hmm. I had got back from my uh, runaway stint to the Galapagos and South America, which is what I did for the sort of last quarter of, of the doomed year 2020. Yeah. And I was feeling like quite um, happy, you know, I was I didn't mind coming back home. But and then in the March that year, I had to get some uh, knee surgery. And so I played up at home and out of the blue, uh, Cav got in touch touch and i um i mean i can name names if you want but i remember bouncing this off of, a, of an yeah, editor sure. a, a major magazine and saying what do you think of this and they were like mm, not sure because <laughs> <laughs> like a bit sort of out of the blue i never worked with cav before i think we followed each other on instagram but that was about it we never interacted and then all of a sudden he's wanting me to work for this magazine but i was like i remember saying to that editor the the unnamed uh naysayer um like, what is there to lose? Like, I, I can't walk. You know, I'm laid up with this. I'm on mm-hmm. streets. I certainly can't travel anywhere. I love South Georgia anyway. Um, so let's let's put it together. And then, I, because I had nothing else to do, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna, um, I'm really gonna go for this here with promoting this magazine. And I started to record these. Look, I was on a lot of painkillers at the time. I would say that. <laughs> I started to record these very strange Instagram stories and um, Cav seemed to think they were very funny. So we that, that became a, a running joke about whether or not I was working actually for some sort of sinister pyramid scheme that didn't have 
and uh, uh, but it but it did. And then I encouraged all my all my friends to to buy it. A lot of my friends work in very boring but very well paying finance jobs, and so I, I said to them all, like, this would really be good if you can subscribe to this, and and virtually all of them did. Wonderful. So when the when the colossal great issue one came thudding through um, letterboxes, thud is the right word, right? God yeah, Almighty, that's got a thud factor. Yeah, you could you could beat a man to death with that. If I if I ever go to prison, uh, and I'm worried about getting shanked in the in the showers, I'm going to tape issues of, of Journey uh, issue one to my body because there's no <laughs> way a blade is getting through that. <laughs> Just make sure it doesn't get too soggy because then it yes. won't be great. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be a shame about the pictures. But look, I think yeah. it, it, it could save my life quite easily. Exactly, valiant, valiant effort. Well done, Journey Issue One. <laughs> yeah, so so that was um, it was great, and it was easy, and um, uh, an easy thing to say yes to. And and the piece sort of came out in one in one section, which is always a good sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when it, when I got asked to write for Issue Two, it was also like automatic that I was going to say yes to that as well, especially because they they let me write. Uh, a piece that just frankly would not get published anywhere else. So that was um, all about my love of birds. Fantastic. Please do elaborate a little bit on that. I know it's the, uh, was it the, to all the birds I've loved before, I believe is yeah, the title. Yeah, which I, I was, uh, you know, a pun headline that I put in as a semi-joke and then it ran as the actual. <laughs> I know. That's the, that's the free- freelancer's dream, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I should have learned at Etihad that we always we used to put in like a joke cover selection and then three times out of five, the client would pick the joke one and you'd be like, oh, no, that is not what we're supposed to be actually having on the cover. So when I put that headline, I was like, um, uh-oh. Um, anyway, they, they ran it and the piece was, the piece was fun, so much fun to write, but it's, it's got like an 800-word intro uh, and there is not another title that I work for that would allow me to get away with that. Um, but basically, it went, that 800-word intro went into talking about the fact that accidentally and against my will and better judgment, I have slowly in, um, become a a very, very amateur birder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've done so much, I've traveled so many places and for so long now that I guess when people, it used to be when people would tell you about, well, you know, you might see an Andean condor here uh, or, you, you know, there is a, the South Georgia pipit could be around this tussock grass if you look. I didn't really care in the past, uh, but now, unfortunately, I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably just because I'm racing towards 40, but um yeah, so now when I travel, I, I, I'm not somebody who goes around with a list, like, let's be clear, and I, I don't have my flask of weak lemon drink in my camouflage clothes. I'm, I'm not like, here to judge, mate. You do what you <laughs> want to do. That's not a problem. No, that, that's for my 50s. Uh, <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, it was. It's, it's just something that, I guess, the more you travel and the more you listen to your guides, the more you realise, you know, birds are pretty extraordinary. They've yeah, evolved sure. in all sorts of absolutely mental ways, and there's some of their adaptations are, are genuinely fascinating. And um, and yeah, so I just got sucked into it. And I'd happened to have been to Costa Rica around about the right time. And Costa Rica is probably most people would agree top five birding nations mm-hmm. on earth, or just even just lazily from for color. I mean, the, the sheer spectrum of uh, feathers plumage that you have to go off of uh, in that country is absolutely astonishing. That, uh, fantastic, Jamie. I look forward to your eventual embrace of becoming a, a birder. Let's talk a little bit about the future, if you would. What are your not next trips? What are your next stories, kind of plans for the future? So, I mean, very immediately, I'm I'm going back to Guyana. Of course. Um, so Guyana like, is not actually that distant uh, in terms of um, 
you know, literally the miles between Guyana and Britain are not are not so great. I go to many more remote places than that, but weirdly, psychically, it's a it's an incredibly remote place and a yeah, place sure. like an embarrassingly little about. It is the only English speaking country in South America. It was until the sixties a British territory, and um, if people know it at all. Uh, well, first of all, most people think you're saying Ghana and they think you're talking about Africa. Right. If they actually do know anything about Guyana, unfortunately, it might be the Jonestown Massacre, which was uh, in the late 70s, happened in northern Guyana, was perpetrated by Americans. Most of the victims were also American and the Guyanese weren't really complicit in it, aside from giving this strange cult the land on which to set up their uh, <laughs> doomed settlement. Mm. Um and so it's a place that, you know, there's a huge Guyanese diaspora in London, uh, another one in New York as well. And yet people just don't really know much about Guyana. And so I've been, um, I went first in 2018, then um, I, I, I would like to say that this could be totally wrong. I would say that I was one of the first people to go there and, and I took some nice pictures, especially of the Kaitua water, waterfall. Coincidentally, some heavy-hitting travel writers in the next six months also went to Guyana. How they knew about it, we can only speculate. <laughs> but a year a year later, uh, the Guyana got its first um, tourist board as well, and they hired Lotus PR in London yep, to yep, right. represent them. So uh, I ended up then going back almost exactly a calendar year later um, in 2019 um, uh, on a group press trip, which was actually really good. It was a lot of really excellent um, travel writers, people I admire, like Kevin Rushby from The Guardian. Wow. Um, and Sarah Marshall, like people who are really, really good and who, who like me, are writers and photographers at the same time. So, Excellent. Um, and yeah, we we got on really well. The itinerary was dead good. Yeah, it was it was excellent. And so now I'm I'm going back again, but um, and it's at the same time of year again because Guyana has very, very sort of distinct wet and dry seasons. Mm -hmm. but this time going uh, into the far west of the country um, and very close to the Venezuelan border. So deep jungle and there's these extraordinary table mountains all around about there called Tepuis. So we're going to be visiting um, some Amerindian communities who are who live in this extraordinary landscape. So that's, that's next week, basically, all, all of next week. Uh, then home for a few weeks, which will be necessary and good. And then um, for all of December, I'm, I'm back in Antarctica. Um, I'm actually not going as a journalist this time. I'm going to work as a ship's photographer. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, on back-to-back -back cruises, including to uh, including to South Georgia. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would be really weird to have come back from Antarctica and actually earn some money as well. <laughs> um, so that's, that's all part of the plan. And then... Um, then I, I've got an, an extraordinary offer to go on, uh, on yet another Antarctic cruise in January, but it would take me away for a month. Um, and it's a really big, amazing uh, opportunity to go to parts of the continent that I've never been to before and the very, very few people in human history have. Um, it's just a very long trip and it would leave me in New Zealand. So, that, oh, well, um, yeah, not the not the easiest commute back from a job then. No, no. So it, would, it requires, you know, when you're freelance, you've got to try and make these trips pay as well Definitely. as uh enjoy the those literally awesome moments and um but there is a financial element to it as well and so i've got to get back from new zealand i would probably try to get work while i'm down there so it could end up taking me away for a few months um so yeah i mean that that's all all that's on the brink of being confirmed i just need to 
work out how I'm going to make any money doing it. And how are you going to get home again, I guess? How am I going to get home again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, these each trip is put together in a different way. I, I think that the the New Zealand and Australian tourist boards are, are some of the better ones to work with. They, they tend to have quite a lot of money. So if I say to them, I'm, I've got a one-way ticket, can you can you get me home and I'll write nice things about your country? Perhaps that will be one way, one solution to these unending problem of how to the, put the jigsaw together. <laughs> That's the, uh, that is the beautiful thing about this industry. Normally there's somebody who knows somebody who can, can get you home. Uh, I think we're just about kind of wending our way towards the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for your time, Jamie. But perhaps you could tell us uh, for, for any kind of budding travel writers, travel photographers out there, do you have any tips or any advice for somebody who's starting out in the industry? Uh, marry rich. Nice. Yeah, good one. <laughs> marry rich, uh, buy lottery tickets. Um, don't think you're going to stamp on my toes because I will trample all over the top of you. Real uh, inspirational stuff, mate. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, like it's, it is super difficult. It's probably never sure. been more difficult to to absolutely. And and I think that like you have to be uh, honest about that. And you have to be realistic. Yeah, you have to think really. about what you want to achieve as well. Like, do you want? But like, for me personally, I only really want to write big features for big magazines. I have to inconvenience myself to a, a mind physically and financially to a mind bending degree in order to do that. Mm-hmm. But it might not be that you want to do that. It might just be that you want to have a byline. You want to see your piece in Journey or National Geographic or the Sunday Times, whatever it may be. So that's achievable. That is really, really achievable. The career is what's really difficult. But if you want to to get going, of course, there's lots of competitions and writing initiatives and stuff. Editors care about that to a degree. But if you just send a good pitch – uh, to a place that you have some sort of ownership of, I would say that is a big adva- advantage. If you have been on family holidays to some part of some corner of France or Spain, or even you know a part of the UK that is undercovered, yep. Um, I would say that that is the way to start. You 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 come up with a reason why you are the person to write the piece, and that is that will help you um, along the way. But totally bizarrely, to, to my mind anyway, I've kind of done that with Antarctica. So I have not, I've now got the Antarctica beat, which is really annoys a lot of people. But that, that's because I have made I've repeatedly gone down there, and and so I don't. When I write about Antarctica, I don't just go, "Oh my God, there are so many penguins." I mean, I do in my head, but when it, on the page, I'm like, "No, I need to, you know change, change that." And I think that for for people who are starting out. That's that's it. Like if you've got either a family connection um, or you've got a personal connection to a place, pitch that first, and then you know work out what the word length is and get somebody else to read it before you send it away. Mm-hmm. Before you send anything, read it out loud. Um, oh, and the best spell checker in the business is Gmails. Weirdly, it's better than Microsoft Word's even. Wow, that's a, that's an interesting tip. Gmail's yeah. kind of just within the body of the email, right? Yeah, yeah. If you, so every, every piece I write, I copy and paste it into um, Gmail, a, a, a Gmail email addressed to no one, and just let that uh, spell checker run it over. It's way more intuitive. It's it's much better at grammar in particular. Oh, that's really fascinating. That's a great tip to to leave <laughs> with because there you go. You know, there's plenty. There are plenty of uh, spell checkers out there, but you know, language is nuanced, right? You can't kind of 
always just assume that because you've written, I don't know what's a good example, A instead of an or whatever, maybe that's yeah, yeah, a terrible yeah. example, but there does seem to be a nuance to it. So there you go, folks. Gmail has a brilliant spell checker. What a brilliant kind of tip to to bring this conversation slowly to a close. Let's just finish off, Jamie, by, um, well, perhaps you could tell people how they can find you kind of online, Twitter, Facebook, website, etc. Yeah, I mean, my, my website's just my name. Um, I, I, actually, the annual renewal has just come off and cost me a fortune, so please go to my website. <laughs> um, on, on, oh, no, this is the bit that gets a bit embarrassing. On Instagram, my handle is travel underscore journal. Sure. Because uh, at one brief phase, I was trying to be more professional. Uh, but my, <laughs> my, my Twitter one is still completely unprofessional, which is uh, mega heed, heed being the Scottish word for, for head. Uh, um, <laughs> so you, a gigantic skull so you've gone professional on instagram and slightly less professional on twitter is that right yeah there's the whole thing about everyone's got a different persona depending on which branch of the social media exactly using. right I've, i i won't go into mine but i try to go professional on twitter and and absolutely not professional on instagram and uh <laughs> not sure how well that's working out for me but you know what can you do yeah yeah i and, think i think my, my twitter experiences of of won me as much work as they've lost. So I think it's a score, a score draw. <laughs> heed. that's M-E-G-A-H-E-I-D, right? For anybody who might be looking for how to spell head in Scottish, if nothing else. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. I think that's just about all we have time for, folks. Thank you so much for joining me, Jamie. You've been listening to travel photographer and writer, Jamie Lafter. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. Thanks very much, Sai. Cheers. You've been listening to the Journey Podcast, which is available at journeymag.com. That's J-R-N-Y-M-A-G.com or wherever you usually access your podcasts. I'm Cy Wilmore and thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.